want to say a happy Mother's Day to you. Such a joy always to be together and uh, hear your voices again. Always a thrill of my heart. And we do say happy Mother's Day. I want you to take that Bible this morning if you brought it. If not, every third chair underneath the, the seat is a, is a Bible if you need that. But I want you to open this morning to Titus, the book of Titus. As I've prayerfully considered the, this season that we find her in, in the, midst, in the midst of a new building, baptisms last week, and then this week is Mother's Day, I wanted to address Titus chapter 2. Let me go ahead and read for you verses 3 through 5. Titus 3 through 5, you follow as I read. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine, that they are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, sometimes as a, as a pastor, on a day like today, Mother's Day, on a day like Father's Day, sometimes I just keep going in my exposition, and we certainly have freedom to do that on a day like today, a day like next month in June on Father's Day. But sometimes I stop and just take advantage of the day and I thought it best maybe this year to stop and to just address mothers rather than going back to the exposition of John. I think my real heart in this is to shepherd our flock. We have so many, 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 many young families in the life of our church. I'm so grateful for that. Usually when visitors come, it's probably fair to say that one of the things that really strikes them is just the presence of kids everywhere. And so we just have so many young families in our church, and likewise, we have so many young children in our church. So we've got young mothers, young children. And so I thought, let's stop today, and if you think, let me know if I should keep going Um, By no means, though, do I desire to bypass this morning the incredible role of singleness. I would not desire to do that. Paul speaks so highly of singleness in 1 Corinthians 7. Nor would I say am I without understanding as to the difficulty of those who long for children and the Lord has not yet answered that desire I'm aware of that. I'm aware that there's single women in the life of these church and and, in our church. And I want you to say that many of these qualities in Titus will apply to you. Some won't, the loving of a husband at this point, but the others do. If you are a single man, then these should be the qualities and the kind of woman that you should be attracted to. If you're a married man, I would say these are the qualities that you should esteem 
in your daughters if you have them and highly esteem in your wife on Mother's Day. Here's my heart today. I really, I really want to encourage you. I, I don't really want to hammer you. That's really never my heart. But in an age where we can no longer speak with certainty, at least in some circles, as to gender, or even understand what constitutes a marriage, you and I both know that God's word is crystal clear on both of these matters. The need is great for a passage like Titus chapter 2. I think I would say to you that the need is great because there is an all-out frontal assault on the role and design of marriage and certainly on the role and design of young women. Let me just give you a little flavor of that, and believe me, I mean just a little flavor. Liberal lawyer Gloria Steinman said this. I'm just going to give you some quotes, lest you think I just read Titus and we move on. Love your husbands. Love your children. Here's what's out there in light and in contrast to the truth of Word of God. Gloria Steinman Steinman said um, a number of years ago, she said, by the year 2000, we will, I hope, raise our children to believe in human potential and not God. I mean, she'll just come right out and say that, to make them aware of human potential and not God. Radical feminist, who's quoted quite often in feminist circles, her name is Sheila Cronin, said this, that since marriage constitutes slavery for women, it is clear that the women's movement must concentrate on attacking this institution. She said freedom for women cannot be won without the abolition of marriage. End of quote. I mean, this is their design to break down the family in such a way. In fact, it goes way back. There was a declaration of feminism way back in November of 1971, and it laid out their agenda. Here was their agenda. The end, and I'm quoting, of the institution of marriage is necessary for the liberation of women. It is important for us to encourage women to leave their husbands and not live individually with men. All of history, the declaration said, must be rewritten in terms of oppression of women. And then it said, we must go back to the ancient female religions like witchcraft. I mean, this is what's out there. And I'm leaving much out. Go back to the ancient female religions like witchcraft. Annie Gaylor Another feminist wrote in an article called Feminist Salvation. She said this, quote, Let's forget about the mystical Jesus and look for encouragement, solace, and inspiration from real women. She said 2,000 years of patriarchal rule under the shadow of the cross ought to be enough to turn women towards the feminist salvation of the world, end of quote. Listen, this is what's out there. This is what's being pumped out at the universities and at the high schools. Dr. Mary Jo Bain, 
who's a feminist professor, wrote this, quote, in order to raise children with equality, we must take them away from families and communally raise them, end of quote. So as I walk into Mother's Day, I think this is what we face, a society that can't define gender roles and a society that can't define marriage. Margaret Sanger, last one, and I'll spare you, who was the founder of Planned Parenthood, wrote this in an article, Women in the New Race. She said, quote, the most merciful thing a large family can do to one of its infant members is to kill it. End of quote. So you have to know as your pastor, when I read passages out of the power of the word of God, that there's a definite reason why Paul states what he states to wives and to mothers. Now, of course, we don't look to the world for our wisdom. We never will. And believe me, I could trace this argument on feminism way back. And it's, it's, it's dangerous to say the least. But it's satanic at its heart. So we look to the word of God. And I want to help you understand God's design and role for young women and mothers. So I hope your Bible is open as we read to Titus chapter 2. And I proceed with you today to uh, a word on mothers. On Mother's Day, a word on mothers. And to do that, we'll look at Titus chapter 2. Now the goal in the book of Titus, let me just walk you back for a moment. And by the way, if you think our world in the 21st century is more difficult than the world of Crete, in which the Apostle Paul parachuted Titus in to plant a church. You're wrong. Crete was as debauched as any city we would know in the known world today. And he dropped, if you will, parachuted his son in the faith, Titus, and he gave him a goal. In fact, the goal, look at 1.5. I'll set the context for you, of course. He said, this is why, Paul said, that I left you in Crete. And then he gives this purpose clause there. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. He told him, I left you there, Titus, for this express purpose. That you would put in order, that you would put what remained into order. In other words, churches are fragile. And some of you have come out of fragile churches. Some of you have been hurt by churches and hurt by leadership, and here you are. And is it any different that Paul told Titus, excuse me, to put it in order? In other words, there's broken pieces. That word for order sometimes spoke of even a, a broken bone, and churches are fragile, and sometimes they're fragmented, and sometimes they're broken in terms of truth. And he says, I'm leaving you there, Titus, to put it in order. That's why men who are called to the ministry need to have a degree of toughness to them because it's hard work. It's, it's long work. It's difficult work. There's things that just tend to go awry. And he says, I want you to put it in order. But look at 1.5. He says there, and I want you to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. 
In other words, this is a special time. This is the Apostle Paul. This is to Titus. And he said to Titus, I want you to appoint elders. And obviously, beloved, we don't need to speak on that. Never ever is, is it a CEO in one church. It is always a plurality of godly men. It is always elders. It is always a group of men. That's why we have elders at this church. It is plural. And he says, I want you to appoint them in every town. But he didn't just tell them to appoint them. You'll notice, and I'm just giving you the flow, in 1.6 down through verse 16, he says what an elder is to be. Maybe slightly what he is to do, but he's not to appoint any kind of man. Look in 1.6, if anyone, he says, here's the qualification, is above reproach the husband of one wife. And so that elder, that man that is chosen to lead in the life of the church is above reproach. It just means nothing can stick to this guy. There's no no discredit to him, to the church. There's nothing in his life. It certainly doesn't mean that he's perfect, but he's above reproach. And uh, boy, I just say this. Here's what an elder is in 1.9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Here's for the purpose, so that he may be able to give instruction in, I love this phrase, sound doctrine. He's clinging to the word of God, beloved. He is, it says there, that he may be able to give instruction. He's teaching. This is what an elder does. And he's giving instruction in doctrine. Doctrine. And he gives instruction in sound doctrine. We get the word, the Greek word hygieno from that. Obviously, our English word hygiene comes from that. Here is a man of God, if you will, appointed to care and put the church in order. And how he does that, he does that in his personal life, but he does that in a sense of duty and he teaches sound doctrine. Look at verse 9 at the end. It says, He also rebukes those who contradict it. In other words, this guy's got a love for the Lord, a love for his word, and he's even refuting people. Doesn't sound very kind today, but I just would tell you, I just, I should share this with you with a smile. We just, as a group of leadership, love you so much that we are very protective of what goes on in here. We don't want to be overprotective that we're not trusting the Lord, but we're very protective And I pray that God continues to protect us, even with those who teach. You say, Scott, you're pretty serious. And I just want you to know none of this is in my notes. But look at verse 11. It says of these false teachers in verse 10, they're empty talkers. And they must be, verse 11, silenced. Since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain, it says what they ought not to teach. There's false teachers just messing people up, messing entire families. So that's enough. He says, I want you to appoint elders, and here's what an elder is to be, and he lists the qualifications there. He's got to be above reproach. He's got to be pure. I don't think a week's gone by in my life in the last two months where somebody's not fallen out of the ministry. Amazing. Epidemic level. Just honestly, every week or at least every other week, somebody else is discredited and getting out because they've lost that status of above reproach. So this is pretty, pretty important. Look down at two, at one sixteen. They, speaking of these false teachers, they profess to know God, 
But they deny him very clearly by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And so he's laying out a very strong word. And then we come into chapter 2. Words matter. He says in two one. but as for you, who's he talking to? He's writing to Titus. Here are the false teachers. They're detestable. They're disobedient. They're unfit for any good work. But Titus, as for you, this is what I want you to do. And then look what he says in two one. He wants him to teach. Just stop there for a second. That's kind of a, seems like a rare thought today. He wants the pastor, Titus, he wants the elders to teach. He doesn't want them running around and taking care of every single program and every single element in the life of the church. He wants them set aside and he says, listen, I'm dropping you, parachuting you into Crete, and I actually want you to teach. Because that's going to bring, look at 2.1. He said, what accords, here it is again, with sound doctrine. In other words, it's healthy, it's, it's hygieno, it's, it's robust, if you will. It's, it's healthy for a family. And what he's teaching is doctrine, if you will. I just listened to a, a guy this week who was... Uh, it appeared to me this way, who was gloating over the fact in the last month in the life of his church, 500 people were saved. And he said right on YouTube, that is over 100 people a week. And he says, what's needed is salvation. And he said, if you're a type of person that cares, and he mentioned this word about the doctrines of grace then we don't need that here. And I don't even think he knew what he was saying. Certainly we would rejoice if those people truly were one to the Lord. Would we not? We'd say amen. But evangelism is never at the expense of sound doctrine. It's always both and, is it not, beloved? And so here he left Titus. He said, I want you to teach. Certainly he needs to carry on the work of an evangelist, but I want you to teach what accords with healthy doctrine. And then watch this. What follows then is five relationships. He tells the older man what he is to be in 2-2. He tells the older woman what she is to be in 2-3. Then he tells the younger women what they are to be in 2 three through five, or four and five. Then he tells the young men what they are to be, and then he tells the servants in two nine what they are to be. The thing that's kind of funny to me is he, he gives a kind of a little bit of a grocery list on the older man. You need to be dignified. He tells an older woman, you need to be reverent in your behavior, not addicted to much wine. He tells a younger woman, here's the seven characteristics. He tells a servant what they used to need to be in terms of their relationship with their employer, if you will. But it's funny, he only says one thing to the young men, and that is, you need to be sensible. It's interesting how this breaks out, but there's five relationships. But here, our goal today is to address on the responsibility and role of an older woman to that of a younger woman in 2-3. So in one sense, I say I'm preaching this to our young mothers to encourage you. But I'm also preaching this to our older women who are to train them. Now, it mentions, look in the scripture there, it mentions in 2-3 older women 
And it tells them what they're to, to be and do. And the truth is, is that some of you women, it could be that you don't want to be considered an older woman. That could just be true. So I just don't, I, well, I, I feel young, Pastor Scott. Uh, well, listen to what the word says. You say, how old is that woman? Just one second. Still others put all their energy into their own children and into their own grandchildren, and they're involved with no one else. The Bible says something a little different than that. Certainly, you want to put them into your children and grandchildren. But she also, older women, have a responsibility to the body of Christ. Let me just say this, that God has placed the role of mentoring on mature older women in the flock. You, if you're an older woman, have been given a serious and sobering responsibility in the body of Christ. Now that question before we dive in, this is preliminary. How old is the older woman? Okay, you probably want to know that. The word means literally that she is an aged woman. I think that's a good translation. She is an aged woman. And I don't believe, in its truest sense, that Scripture specifies how old this woman is. Sometimes you'll hear from the Word of God that this woman is 60. And they, they come up with that because that is what Paul said of a widow in 1 Timothy 5.9. He said there that a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years of age or 60 years old. In other words, she can only be put on the list if she's 60 or above and she's been characterized by that lifestyle. But I don't think that should be taken as a biblical imperative that necessarily in totality can transfer from a widow to an older woman. What Paul called older women would more likely be called a mature woman maybe even a middle-aged woman, certainly a woman who is 60 or above, certainly. But it pictures here the older women who are experienced in life, this is the thought, experienced in marriage, their child, and experienced even in their child-rearing, taking the younger woman and helping them adjust to their responsibilities. Now, after he gives a brief description of the character of an older woman, Paul states, look in the text, that an older woman, look at verse 3 at the end, they, speaking of the older women, are to teach what is good. Now he mentions that word teaching there, and it's not a formal presentation as some Greek words would lay out. Here the thought is, it's a modeling. Here's an older woman in the word. She is modeling, if you will, by example. In other words, an older woman with a younger woman here is not a program. It's not a book necessarily. It's not a tape series, but she is modeling and she is teaching. Here's the thought. By her lifestyle and the teaching, you can see it there at the end of verse 3, is good. It's winsome. It's, It's beautiful, if you will. Now, you say, what is she teaching, though, that is good? It's in the next phrase. Look at it in 2.4. Here's what she's doing. And so train, watch this, the younger women. You might have an NASB this morning. It says, encourage the younger women. But the idea here in the ESV is to train 
the young woman. You say, what does that mean, Scott? It just means that an older woman is to train a younger woman, and let me say this succinctly to you, to be self-controlled. That's the thought. She's to train a younger woman, and built in that word train, I don't have to tell you the Greek word, but it has to do with the ideal of training in the area of self-control is the thought. The thought is to train the younger women, if I used it in another phrase, to be sober-minded. That an older woman is to train a younger woman in her priorities. And in this text, to show them the value of loving their husband over finding their identity in the world. To love their children in just a moment with joy and not see it as a hardship. Now you might ask the question, who are the older women training? Look again at the text. It says they are to train, do you see this? In verse 4, the young women. It's neos. Young means neos, it's new. It's to train the newly married women. In other words, those women who are in their childbearing years. Those women who are in their child raising years. An older woman is to train towards self-control here by older, mature women in the flock. Now you say, well, Scott, what does that training consist of? Well, what follows in the text there is seven beautiful characteristics that declare what an older woman is to train a younger woman woman to be and to do. You say, well, what's the end game of this? Well, I mean, I... The end game is multiple. If you look back at Titus 1.1, let me tie it there. It's always tied together. Paul, a servant of God and of the apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, and here it is, which accords with what? Godliness. That's what's at stake here. Godliness. In other words, he's after the knowledge of the truth, Not just salvation, praise the Lord for salvation, praise the Lord for the testimonies last week. But it's not just about salvation, it's the knowledge of the truth which is leading to this quality called godliness. That's the issue here, godliness. And so to to arrive at that, Titus, I'm parachuting you in. Here's what I want you to do, I want you to put it in order, I want you to appoint elders And then I want you to teach sound, healthy doctrine. And then I want you to take these older men. I want you to take these these older women. I want you to take these younger women. I want you to take these strapping young men. And I want those who are employees to their employers, if you will, to live in such a way. And here's the end game for the women. Look at 2.5. It says to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. Here's why. That the word of God may not be reviled. In other words, he wants your life and your testimony and your home to be in such a way that the word of God would never be reviled. That it would never be dishonored. So there's seven characteristics that follow. But can I give you three today? Three today. Okay. Here's what she's to be. Maritally. Older women are to train their younger 
women maritally to love their husband. Maternally, secondly, to love their children. And thirdly, they're to train them mentally to be sensible. Okay? So the goal of the older woman is to train the younger woman in these seven characteristics that follow. This involves a relationship, obviously. It involves modeling. It involves mentoring and so much more. Okay, so very well, let's dive in, okay? Maritally, here's what an older woman is to train a younger woman in. Look at the text in verse 4. And so train the young women. It says here, you see this, you're reading it with me. To love their husbands. To love their husbands. Maritally, they are to love their husbands. Now, you would see that and you'd say, oh, well, Scott, isn't that rather obvious? Um, yes, I suppose in one sense it is. Yeah, you're to, you're to love the guy, right? You're to, as some would say, love the old man, as they call him. But what's interesting here, and and I've taught part of this before, but there's a game changer here in the words. And it's not like you have to be uh, super smart on it. You just, understanding a little bit of the language will help you. You know that the Greeks had different terms for love. I think you know that. And you don't want to make too much of this either. But of course, they had the word agape, right? Agape was the self sacrificial love of God. Some would say, and you got to be careful saying that, is the highest form of the love of God. Certainly you know this word when it says, for God so, what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so agape the world. And that word agape just means self-sacrificing. And so some call it the highest form of love because it involves the highest kind of sacrifice. It is the sacrifice of God giving his son for the world. Now that's also the word used in Ephesians 5.25. You know that. Husbands, what does it say? Love your wives as Christ, what? Loved the church, okay? And you say, well, what word is that? That's agape. So when he gives the role and character of a man towards his spouse, he said, just as God loved the world and just as God demonstrates his own love towards you, that while you are yet sinners, he tells the man to love his wife. So husbands, agape your wife in the same sacrificial love that Jesus Christ. So you got the word agape, okay? C.S. Lewis wrote a book on this, The Four Loves. He was criticized for some of it, maybe rightfully so. The other word is phileo, okay? Love of friendship. You've heard that before. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly, what? Love. Although people I know from Philadelphia, I like to refer to it as as the city of brotherly shove. Have you ever met anybody from Philadelphia? They're rough. If you know any of their sports fans, you'll understand that. But that's the word phileo, love of friendship. Of course, there's eros, the sexual attraction. There is something called storge, which is the kind of the familial love inside a family. Now, here's my question back to you. What's, it, what's he saying to these women? They are to maritally love their husband. What word does he use? I asked some seminary guys this week at class, and they got it wrong. They said, Scotty uses agape. 
And he doesn't use agape there. He tells the older women to train the younger women to phileo their husband. So what does that mean, Scott? He's telling the older women, you train the younger women that I want you to be, to these younger women, a husband lover. Let me press it further. He's telling the older women to tell the younger women, I want you to like your husband. Pretty radical. He's not telling a a wife to sacrifice for her husband. He tells the husband that to his wife. He's telling a wife here to love her, to phileo her to, to, to him, to have an affection for him. Now you say, why would Paul say that? Why? Well, I think there's a reason. Now you're back into the Bible study of it. Understand the culture or setting. It brought two very important factors to consider why Paul would say that according to the culture. Number one, marriages were arranged. A woman comes into this relationship and after a year or two years or five years, it's like, here's the dude. <laughs> she might not have picked that, that guy. Her family might have picked it for him. And maybe we would say they picked wrong. I mean, it kind of made it a little difficult. Secondly, I would say here that the women were viewed and used in this culture as a marital convenience. Women were often treated poorly. They were treated without respect. In fact, in the Greek society, one writer said that they were trained and bred. Women were like animals. In fact, it was very common in this society, in the Greek culture, that men had affairs on the side. And then you enter into Judaism, beloved, and they had a slogan. And I'll tell you the slogan. It was recited by men, and it went like this, quote, thank God for not making me a woman. Pretty harsh, is it not? So Christianity, I want you to know this, liberated women from this pathetic scene. You know, some people look at us as Christians and think, hey, uh, what, what do those families want? Listen, if you want to look back in the history, Christianity liberated women from a barbaric scene. To be married to a man whom you didn't love or respect or reciprocate love was now imagined for some of these women a difficult task. In fact, imagine you go back in a time warp 2,000 years and you put yourself in the shoes of one of those women. They come out of a culture like that Okay, And then they come to Christ, and they know the freedom of coming to Christ. And if this woman wasn't careful, she could develop or become resentful. She could become bitter. She could become cold. She could become frustrated. She could become angry. Is this who I'm stuck with? She could, if you will, have an unforgiving spirit. And then she's new in Christ, and now she's married to an unsaved man. And she says, maybe years ago, maybe now, the feelings are gone, and there's zero oneness with her husband. Hence, Paul, because it's the word of God, 
gives the exhortation to the young women that here's what I want older women to do. I want you to train their younger women to love their husband. I'm not asking a young woman just to live with him. I'm not asking her just to put up with him. I'm asking you to like your husband, to enjoy your husband. I want you to be his friend. I want you to be his helper. I don't want you just merely to tolerate him. I want you to delight in him. It's phileo love. I want you to love him. I want you to be his friend. But as it goes, even maybe in our own day, busyness sets in, raising children sets in, physical difficulties set in, trials come and weave their way into life's demands, and sometimes even today, rob the friendship, rob the affection that a woman is to have for her husband. And so listen, this is brilliant by Paul. It's the word of God. The love commanded here, young women, is not sacrificial in nature as such compared to agape, as a man's towards his wife, but it is a love of friendship, a love of delight, a love of joy and affection. And so here's what Paul says, and I'm putting this gauntlet down to the women in our church, and I'm so thankful for what our women are doing in the life of our church. But he says, I want older women to train the younger women to love their husbands. I'm not asking the older women to train the younger women just to make a sacrifice for her husband. I'm not asking her just to live with the old man. I'm not asking her to just be dutiful in the physical relationship. No, the Lord authoritatively says, I want your husband to be your delight, not your duty. I want you to love him, not just tolerate him. So this phileo love is a giving away of yourself. It's not easy, is it, women, in some cases? Okay? In other words, this is a very high standard, is it not? In other words, he just says, I I want you to love him. Are you enjoying your husband? Do you like being with your husband? Do you like being his friend, uh, his friend even now? Boy, listen, I just tell you, you got to be careful of not letting the smallest thing create a mammoth wedge in between your relationship. You've got to keep a short account, and I suppose this is Mother's Day, and here's, I'm sharing this with you, right? So Paul is telling these older, mature women, you have, listen, I just want to encourage you, a right to speak to these young women. In fact, I want to be super clear here today without sounding harsh, okay? It's not even my responsibility. It's not the staff's responsibility. It's not the elder board's responsibility. It's the responsibility of older women to put their arm around younger women and to help them do this. Now, certainly, I want to be available. Our staff wants to be available. I counsel. Our staff counsels. But really, where counseling needs to take place is right here, alongside an older woman who's had successes, who's had failures, who understands the joys and the trials of raising children and can help a young woman be trained in the area of self-control and help her value her home more than she does the world. To value the things of inside that home and the relationship with her husband more than she does gaining some kind of identity in the world. 
So listen, women, you have a right to speak to the young women. You have raised your kids. Now you share those successes and failures, your joys and sorrows, what the Spirit taught you. Your life is the basis of your teaching. So young women on Mother's Day, here's a word from God. You are to, sounds funny, like your husband, build a friendship with him. So here's a godly woman, maritally, she's to love her husband. Maternally, look again now in the text, which is really where we wanted to get. She's to love both, it says, their husbands and what? Children. She's to love her children. I think all the mothers agree in Christ that children are a blessing. They're even entertaining to be around. Did you hear the story about the six-year-old? Six-year-old, he kept telling his first grade teacher about the new baby that was expected in his home soon. And one day the mother allowed the boy to fill the movements of the unborn child. And the six-year-old made no comment. Then after that, he stopped telling the teacher about the new baby. And the teacher was real curious. And she finally set him in her lap and said, Tommy, what has become of the baby that you were expecting at your home And Tommy burst into tears. I think mommy ate it. (laughs) Hey, they're funny, aren't they? They think the funniest things. They they say the funniest things. He just went blank after that because mom ate that baby. I mean, you can't help but love kids for the things they say. Yet I, I just, I want you to know this, young mothers. Nothing is more challenging at times right, than loving children. It's hard work. It's long hours. You say, well, Scott, what's the word here? What, love, in fact, it's interesting. It says that in the, in the, it says love their husbands and children, but I believe there's another word there that they just interpreted. It's what love is this that she is to have? It's interesting. It's not agape, It's phileo again. Interesting. He's saying to the young women, listen, I I want you to build a relationship with them. I want you to love them. I think a Christian woman is going to have a natural agape. And so he says, I want you to love your husbands. And then here maternally, I want you to love your children. I I want you to delight in them. I want you to see past the hard days, the long hours, the sleepless nights, and love them. Really, that's my heart for you women. Can you imagine what our church would be like? Not only would the word of God not be dishonored, but we'd have the blessing of God on the homes and the families inside our church. Listen, this is a testimony. This is for evangelism. You say, well, why would Paul say this? Is it Is it just not kind of natural? Well, let me step back into the culture and then let's talk a little bit. The attitudes when Paul wrote this for children were very, very difficult times. One of these laws or thoughts was a Roman law. Have you heard of it? It was called Patria Potestis. And that meant, quote, the father's power. This is the culture in which he wrote. So what is that? Well, it allowed the father in that culture 
to have absolute power over every member of his family. He could, tell, he could sell them all as slaves. He could make them work in the fields in chains. He could take the law into his hands and punish any member of his family as severely as he wanted, even to the point of inflicting the death penalty. A dad could do that. And he had that power in that culture as long as he lived. In fact, there was a letter that came out in history. It was dated 1 BC, 1 1 before Christ, from a man to his wife, and it gives us some insight. Here's what he said, quote, heartiest greetings. He said this to his wife in a letter. If good luck to you, you have another child. If it is a boy, let it live, and if it is a girl, throw it out. That's how children were treated. Seneca, one of the philosophers of the day, said this. We slaughter a fierce ox. We strangle a mad dog. We plunge a knife into a sick cow. And children who are born weakly and deformed, we drown. Paul was speaking, beloved, to a culture where children were severely abused. You say, well, Scott, is it any different today? I would say, yes. It's worse. It's worse today. You say, Scott, why would you say that? Well, just one illustration. We have this thing called abortion on what? Demand. Listen, by the time this day has started and ended, there will be 125,000 babies aborted across the globe. You think, do we love children today? I don't think so. I don't think so. I I just, it's hard for me to even say that. It's Mother's Day. 125,000 babies today in a 24-hour period will be aborted. So, beloved, here is a charge. Listen to young women to think of her children with affection. That children, oh, listen, it's work, but it's not to be seen as a duty. Women, young women, it's to be seen as a delight. And often, as I said, a mother becomes exhausted. There's long days, sleepless nights. Young women, it's easy to grow weary. You begin to see disobedience in children, and it can become exasperating. It can become frustrating. Listen, uh, we raised seven. There's the mama down there. She gets it. Remember, we had seven in nine years. And then my son Johnny's here. He was a special challenge as well. No, he wasn't. He was a joy. Listen, I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, it's easy, is it not, to lose your patience. It's easy to, as a young woman, operate in the flesh. It's easy, if you will, to lose that phileo love, that love of affection, that love of friendship where you just love your kids. You know, I don't, I don't even know how to say this. this is, you can't find this stuff in a book. I mean, I'm teaching, but you need to watch this. You young women, if you don't have that, then go find an older woman. You might need to get into our women's Bible study and find one of those sage older women. Can you imagine if we just became this? 
if we became a Titus 2 church, and I'm so encouraged with where we're going. But listen, fatigue sets in. It's easy to lose the friendship a mother is to have towards her children. And let me just encourage you today. You have to walk supernaturally in the spirit even to do this, right? Like if you think that I think this is easy, I'm a man. It's not easy for a father. You Women, the same grace that brought you to Christ, you need to wake up every day. And if you're not, just say, Lord, would you just help me today? I got three hours last night. I got four hours. Lord, I just need your grace today. I need to learn to delight in these children. I need to phileo them. And, and you know, there was a time, yeah, this is popping in my head one time, Patty, when we had all of our seven kids and somehow we had them at six schools. I mean, we were running a van service all around the Santa Clarita Valley. And I said, Patty, we're putting them all in one or, you know, or something. I mean, we just, you're just running everywhere between school and athletics and all those things. And if we're not careful, you've got to just walk in the spirit. Martha Peace said this, a mother that neglects this command. It's a little bitey, so I'll let Martha Peace say it, okay? She says, in, a mother who neglects this command in her heart, makes cruel fun of her child, calls him names, twists the truth, overacts with physical discipline, speaks in a harsh tone of voice, controls her children with anger. Martha Peace said that moms say, you make me so mad, or you are just so slow, or you're just, I mean, I can't think of a wife saying that, stupid. Listen, older women, you need to remind the young women, maritally, to love their husbands, maternally, to love your children. Listen, as you get out of the auditorium, just go pick them up and tell them you love them, okay? Just just love on them. Thirdly, mentally, this older woman is to train a younger woman to be sensible. That's what it says there. Can you see it there? It says to be, it says in 2.5 to be self-controlled. The NASB says to be sensible, but we're out of time. As is always my lot when I preach, right? And do we keep going on this in the weeks to come? Is, is, this, is this helpful to you? Maritally, love them on Mother's Day. And my real heart was, phileo your children. You say, Scott, it's just so hard. Pray. Get on your knees. Dear Jesus, the grace that saved me in my salvation is the grace that I need in sanctification. Three takeaways, let me give you. We'll stop here, but three takeaways. Number one, young mother's investment. Realize in most cases, your greatest investment in the kingdom of God is the discipleship of your children. I believe that one of the greatest callings in the entire world is to be a wife and a mother. Listen, you make that investment. It's hard work, long hours, but what a wonderful opportunity to make an impact in Christ's kingdom by raising children who walk in the ways of Christ, okay? This would never mean that a woman without children, it would never mean that a woman who is single can't impact God's kingdom. You know, I would never say that. It, 1 Corinthians 7 speaks of a glorious impact, but here for us on Mother's Day, it simply declares the privilege that God has given women in raising children, 
let me just say this as a generalization, but true, that the greatest disciples will not be in the church, yours, but those of your own home, and you make an incredible opportunity. You have an incredible opportunity to make this investment, number one, in the kingdom. So number one is investment, takeaway. Secondly, privilege. What a privilege. I mean, it's hard for me to say it today, but because it's so profound. What, what a privilege if you're a young mom and a young mother that you have been given by God that he would entrust his offspring made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, to you and give you children to be raised by you in love and friendship. It doesn't mean you don't have a sense of authority. It doesn't mean you're not the mom. But it does mean don't let the difficulties overwhelm you so that you forget this little life. And the third one is just encouragement. Maybe more needs to be said here. Fathers, husbands, I just hope you esteem this. What do you esteem? I hope this is the type of that this is what you're esteeming in your home. This is what you're esteeming in your daughters. And this is what you're prizing in the training of your sons. I don't know what some young men look for, but I'll tell you this. Whatever that woman needs to be, at least at the beginning, maritally she should love her husband, and maternally she should love her children, and mentally she should at least be sensible. She says, Scott, where, where do I, how can I do this? Look at 2.11. There's one little tiny word. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's only by his grace that we can fulfill this. You might say, well, Scott, listen, I've, uh, I've blown it maybe. Well, listen... I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Let me ask you, do you have an older woman in your life? Do you have somebody who's going to put their arm around you? Oh, it's great to read a book. We'll have a book study. I'm praying that what comes out of the book studies, what was presented today in the announcement, will lead to a life-on-life relationship. But listen, we're the church, beloved. Where are you going to find this? You're not going to go get this at Cal State Northridge or Fresno State or... Merced University. You're going to find this in the local church. And at some point, you need to get involved. At some point, you need, I, I, just, I was there on Tuesday night at our, uh, at our uh, time for Summerfest servants. I think there were 60 servants there. We need over 200, but lots going on that night. And uh, one of the younger women told me that she was being mentored by one of the older women in our church. And I just loved it. Just to help. Just to walk just to share life together, to pray, and maybe that older woman's discipleship in this. 